What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Ben and Chris Talk Sports. I'm Chris. I am Ben. And we're here to bring you our opinions on our news, notes, and happenings from around the world of sports. Episode 125. Good show planned for you today. We have our segments back. Our new segments that had to take a break last week. Ben's going to talk some hockey. I'm going to continue talking baseball. Some NFL. Uh, a little tough to talk about. Retirement from the Patriots. Uh, unexpected. But we're going to have, you know, updates on that and some kind of funny stories that came out of that. The way people reacted was kind of kind of telling on how knee-jerk everyone is. Uh, well, not everyone, but, you know, most people on Twitter. Or Twitter in general. Yeah, I'll say that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, first, before we get into any other segments, we would like to give a shout-out to Ben's sister. I, I assume, fan of the show. I would say so. I would say I would, I would assume based on the, the lovely gift that she provided you and actually sent us more, some awesome Ben and Chris Talk Sports water bottles. Um, really, really nice. We'll put a picture of them on uh, on our social media, Facebook and Twitter, and all that. Uh, but very big thank you. Shout out to her. That was really awesome. Great gesture. They're really, really nice. Um, so definitely going to in the future when we can incorporate video, you'll be you'll be seeing our beverage of choice being drank out of those. Drunk out of those? Drink out of those? I don't know. I did good in science. Not, not English. I did good in science. Um, so let's get on to the, the first topic after a week hiatus. Ben's going to talk a little hockey. All right. So we did have the trading deadline pass. A uh, few moves here and there. I think the, the one I want to point out, and no coincidence, it is the team I uh, root for. The Boston Bruins acquired Taylor Hall from the Buffalo Sabres. Now, Chris, obviously... You know who Taylor Hall is, correct? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got uh, got a couple of rookie cards and uh, the jersey in my closet, and I don't have any damn clue who this guy is. So Taylor Hall, give you a, little, uh, a few quick facts. Uh, he was the first overall pick in 2010. Now, one would think, oh, well, that's a long time ago, and they're acquiring him now. Uh, just a fun fact, he is only 29 years old. He started young, huh? Uh, I would say he was either 17 or 18 when he was Jeez. drafted. So. Uh, Man, can't even buy cigarettes playing in the NHL. Good for him. So, when on the surface, if you look at his transaction history, he's been traded three times. That's promising. And then this offseason, he or not this offseason, uh, last offseason, he signed with the Sabres as a free agent. Uh, his awards, uh, five-time All-Star. Uh, he won the MVP, the league MVP, which is the Hart Trophy, in 2018. So he's not a slouch. Uh, no. So my, my question is, how this guy get traded three times? If he, he sounds pretty damn good. I would say he's he, he's definitely a top six guy. Uh, he's not going to play on the first line for the Bruins. Uh, that's pretty much. I mean, it's. Uh, <laughs> you realize you may as well just said that in Spanish, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. I, I was gonna. Okay. I was gonna dig a little into it for you. Um, right now, the lines are fluid uh, for the Bruins because they're trying to figure out what's working and what's not. Uh, but top six implies your first two lines. That is two forwards and a center. Okay. Uh, typically, you want all three of them kind of playing together uh, when it's uh, five on five. Uh, continuity, familiarity with each other. Kind of kind of have the center, and then you have your left arm and your right arm, so you kind of want to work in tandem. So it's best to have players who know each other uh, so you can increase production, but he'll probably fit into the second line. Um, 
like I said, right now it's fluid. Uh, and I won't go into the names because it's going to go right over your head and then over a couple other people's heads that uh, listen to. But he is a good top six uh, uh, player. And in fact, uh, first game is tonight for the Bruins. And he scored a goal against the team he was just traded from. So I would say it's uh, already working out for the Bruins. Uh, they only had to trade uh, Andres Bjork and a second round pick. And Andres Bjork is a, an up and coming player. Uh, he'll probably play for the Buffalo Sabres uh, this year, uh, but he'll probably be most likely second or third line uh, forward, but who knows? Uh, he does have upside, and I think the Bruins are trying to tap into whatever Taylor Hall uh, can provide for them in the short term. And then he actually spoke when the trade went down that he's looking for a long-term extension uh, with whatever, whatever team acquired him. So he's hoping to sign long-term with the Bruins. Depending on how much cap they have left uh, available for them. Uh, some expiring contracts are coming up in the off season. Maybe it'll work out. Uh, but right now I would say it'll benefit the Bruins. Absolutely. He has career 582 points. That's 220 goals, 362 assists. So he's very versatile. Uh, I think do you, a good pick. Do you think with the Patriots extra cap room, they could just sign him and let the Bruins have him? It could. I don't Absolutely think it could, Chris, yeah. But it's not legal. Well, I mean. <laughs> I know. Well, it depends know. if anybody finds the paperwork or not. Whatever. Uh, uh, it, it is. Um, there was a lot of other trades that happened. Nothing of this caliber uh, that I would want to get into uh but it's a good move by the bruins um i'll have to pay more attention now that uh they picked up a nice guy because it was right now they're kind of trying to get through the season and uh before you know it it'll be a uh, playoff time i think it's like a month or two away so it's a great pickup for them and i think uh i think it look it looks good for them to have a, a good deep playoff run nice that'll uh that'll probably not affect me at all but it's good to hear i mean i like seeing them do good don't get me wrong i mean i make i'm i'm, I'm people may think this is like a front like i'm trying to be funny in this segment i really don't know anything about hockey uh i do you know i do am i can't say root for that would imply that i like actively seek it out but uh i do cheer for the pats and the red sox so naturally, I always do enjoy seeing the Celtics and Bruins do well, even if I don't right. follow them as religiously as I do the other two teams. But it is always nice to see them doing well. Um, anything else, sir? Is that our NHL uh, I mean, for the week? I mean, I mean, Chris, I'll be honest. If if you if we were we were doing this podcast, let's say 10, 12 years ago, hockey wouldn't even be in the discussion because I, I didn't follow hockey for the longest right. time. Uh, and we've we and you have had a debate probably in the past three or four years about which series playoff is more intense. Uh, I know you've debated about um, baseball and I I've, I've told you hand over fist that I think hockey playoffs are by far the most intense and interesting 
uh, playoffs there is. And that's leaving out football because yeah, no one touches football. Yeah. Nobody touches football again. though, my, my point though, wasn't intense as far as excitement, because I, I can't argue, even though I have no idea what the hell is going on. Right. That, uh, hockey game for sheer intensity based on a physicality that's constant. Right. Uh, there's no, there's no comparison. Clearly more intense from that point of view. I went from more popular from a viewership standpoint. That's yeah, what I right. went from. And I would, I would have to say maybe with the exception of, you know, the NHL finals for the, you know, uh, for, for, I don't know, was it Brian or Larry's cup? I know it's Stanley cup. I'm just messing around. <laughs> okay. Um, I do know that much. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it'd be hard pressed based on, uh, uh, you know, sport court last year where I beat you like you owe me money. Um, your viewers said it, not me. I would. Okay. I'm just. I'm just a humble recipient of their praise. Okay. Um. But I mean, it. You know, it. Uh, I was so sarcastic there. I lost my train of thought. Uh, it would. You know, I just. I don't think the numbers compare viewership wise. Uh, maybe the finals are a little bit closer, the World Series and the Stanley Cup Finals. But I, I don't think, from the actual intensity, obviously hockey. I mean. Look, in baseball, you throw three pitches every 90 seconds. It's not exactly a nail-biter. Right. Uh, for the short spurts, the home runs, the great plays, sure, that's exciting. But an overall game, hockey's definitely more intense. Uh, but, I mean, we look at the viewership numbers. I, I, I still think I win the argument from the standpoint I was trying to make it from. So well, the, the, the problem is, is there's only one sport that um, advertises their players worse than baseball. And that's hockey. Hey, that just makes my argument. That doesn't hurt me at all. <laughs> it does. So. It does. Uh, it's unfortunate that the the two sports that I probably need the most help yeah. uh, still still can't get out of their own way. Well, it's probably a reason they're in the situation they're in if they can't advertise their their quality players properly. Right. So, I think I think with the L, the L Epstein is going to help baseball turn that around. I hope. If, if only he hope, Chris. If he can't, I don't know who can. So yeah, that's true. Um. All right, as for me going on to baseball, uh, the topic I have is uh, a player I actually kept on my fantasy team who kind of struggled for a while. He's still a young player, extremely talented. Uh, He's a guy uh, for the Minnesota Twins named Byron Buxton. Uh, He, and the whole reason, the, the purpose of my little diatribe here is to not give up on talent that needs to develop. A lot of times in sports, it's, we want it now. If the Buffalo Bills gave up on Josh Allen after two seasons, oof, man, he went somewhere else for year three and played the way he played, they'd regret it. Uh, and, I mean, that's just uh, the most recent one I can think of. There is all throughout sports uh, stories and, and, and you know, careers where it's taken – Football is usually a little bit shorter. Baseball usually takes some little players a little bit longer, unless you're somebody extraordinarily special like Mike Trout, who like was hitting home runs when he was like eight years old. Uh, then it can take a while to develop. And a guy like Buxton, number two overall pick in 2012 to the Twins, uh, he had all the tools, fast as you can possibly imagine, good arm, great in the field, not a lot of power, uh, you know, projected power, but solid hitter. And he struggled with injuries, struggled with consistency. Uh, 
only had one year where his average was terrible, especially by today's standards. It's not the 80s and 90s anymore where you can get 300 averages. If a guy hits right. 260 now, he's damn near a baseball deity. Um, so the last couple of years, he's hit over 250, had one down year, and would have been two years ago, 2018. But again, with injuries and everything, he's only 27 now. And he showed a lot of power last year that he hadn't shown before. His steals kind of went down a little bit. That kind of goes hand in hand. Usually when the guy starts hitting for more power, they slow down a little bit because they put on some more mass. It's okay. He's still fast. Right. And I think it's better for him um, body-wise, uh, physique-wise, maybe less injuries if he has a little bit more muscle mass. He's not going to be so prone to injuries. So uh, what were you going to say? I was going to say also if you're hitting the ball out of the park a little bit more with more power, uh, the chances of stealing – yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> go down because you don't have the opportunities. You don't need to steal when you can just take all four at once. Right. So uh, that's really all I have. It wasn't a big a big segment, but I, I have him. Uh, I, I'm a very, very big believer in his overall talent. I think he's still only going to get better. He's going to have his slumps, but you're going to see this guy over the next year or two work that out to the point where he is a steady, consistent contributor. Uh, I have him on my fantasy team, like I said. He was a keeper. This kid is going to be something special. And people get, like I said, people get down on, on somebody so quick if they don't come in and they don't live up to the, 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 the quote, hype right away. Um, there's a lot of players who come in, really struggle a little bit, have to develop, go back and forth to the minors, and then they come up and they and they kill it after a couple of years. And they're consistent players for seven, eight, ten years. I'll uh, give you a name right now, Chris. Who's that? Aaron Hicks. Yeah. And he was with Minnesota, yep. and they he couldn't hit for the power and average they wanted, and they sent him to the Yankees. Now, let's be honest. That park probably helped him, but he played to his park. Right, so, exactly. And they gave him an opportunity, and he took out his opportunity. Now he's, like you, like you were saying, they've become a, 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 a stable player for four, five, six years. That's what he's been for the Yankees over the past few years. And then I, another example now, it's a small sample size, but you had Joe Musgrove just pitch. A yep. no, a first no hitter for the San Diego Padres. He was drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates. And he was in, what deal was he in, Chris? This I believe he was in the Garrett Cole deal. Was Initially, he to go to the Astros. Then he went to the Astros. And then they shipped him to... I believe he got shipped to... The Padres for something. I it can't... Have, yeah, I don't know for who... I, I, th- I, I read it and I I read it earlier this week when it, when he pitched that no hitter because I was going through to see where he was at, but um, that's that's two teams giving up on him. Now it's just one game, but I'll also say this: they have some front end starters there. Uh, I know they have Snell. Uh, obviously, they have Chris Paddock, who's who's an up and coming pitcher. And I think didn't they acquire you Darvish this offseason? Padres, yes, I believe so. So, so they have some front end uh, starting pitchers, so the pressure's off Musgrove, and he could be the fourth fifth starter. It's sometimes it just takes that second or third team an opportunity and, and a situation where he, he can grow and not the pressure's not on him. Because let's be honest, when the pod, Pirates traded Garrett Cole, I think they had the thought of 
Joe Musgrove was going to be the guy. I think if the, if the if the timeline works out in that situation, um, but it sometimes it just takes time, like you said. It it, it it's not going to be easy, and some players just take time to work out. Yeah, I actually I said that backwards. He started off with the Astros. I thought, yeah, that's right. Started off with the Astros, which I think he was, I believe he was in the Garrett Cole trade to to Pittsburgh, and he got traded this offseason, you're correct, from Pittsburgh to San Diego, where he threw the first no-hitter. And by the way, he's a San Diego area native, which was really cool cool for him. So, uh, yeah, I can't believe I didn't add that in. I'm glad you brought that up. I had so much stuff going on today with all the NFL news. I completely slipped my mind, but. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I would advise anybody who Byron Buxton shouldn't be available in any leagues, but uh, oh. um, if, if he is uh, on the trading block from someone who's nervous or trying to sell hot, don't be nervous. Make a move, get him. The kid's gonna be good. Health is be an issue, but when he's right. on the field, he's gonna be good. I just want to give you some positive news, Chris, on your tip a couple weeks ago. Or was it a couple weeks ago? It was yeah, a couple weeks ago when I said, should I bail on Rafael Devers? After yeah. three or yep. four games, uh, he turned it around. Yes, he did. Hey, it's it's these guys are creatures of habit, man. Yeah. And yeah. and baseball players are probably the most superstitious guys you're gonna you're gonna hear about in all of sports. And they are creatures of habit. And the last year and a half or so, uh, this isn't you know a poor them thing. Like they're adults, you know, do what you got to do. Yeah. But as far as being in the groove to do your job, which is to play baseball at a high level. Sometimes it takes a little bit to get the, the train rolling. Red Sox lost their first four. They haven't lost since. They right. looked abysmal those first four games, and they looked really good the last week, week and a half or so. So which And you know. they had that kid throw a uh, hell of a game, right? Uh, I don't know, Hawk. Tanner Hook. I love that kid. He's gonna be so good. I got him, I got him crazy, Michael. crazy cheap in my fantasy draft. I'm just letting him sit on my bench till he comes up because he's gonna be something. Not to dig too deep into this, because I know we have a couple other topics, but I heard I was listening to I don't remember what I was listening to, or I read it somewhere that when uh, all the pitchers are back for the Red Sox, there's a possible discussion to send him down. Tanner Hawk, he already is down. Oh, he is? He pitched uh, relief his last day up, and then they sent him back down to the alternate training site when uh, Erod came back. So that's what that's what it was. Erod, when Erod came back, they were discussing whether or not to send him. I'm conf- I mean, I, I get it. It could be just one great start and that's it. And maybe he'll never produce anything else, but I, I, a team like the Red Sox who need pitching. I just think that's, is that a little, well, here's the thing. I actually picked him up last year. I yeah. didn't, didn't keep him because I wanted to be able to keep him for this year and next year. So the okay. way my league works, you can only keep him for two years. So I picked him up last year. I can only have him for one additional year. I'm only saying that to say this, uh, last year, he had three starts, and right. he was dynamic. He was great. He did the same thing he's done since he came back up this year. So he will be up and and permanently a part of the Red Sox roster, if not uh, starting rotation, yeah. in short order. So you're, to answer your question, yeah, a team that needs pitching should absolutely uh, find a way to get him on the roster. Um, to be honest with you, though, some of their starters are so shaky and their bullpen has been shaky the last couple of years, all it's going to take is one injury or someone to slip up. He'll be up here, and I think if he's given a chance to have a long look at him, he'll never see the minor leagues again. Do you think it's the um, – do you think 
service time is playing a factor? Uh, I don't know. It's possible. And I hate to, hate to bring it to that in baseball. It's so screwy. Um, Cause it's, I, it's, it's, it's possibility. Cause that's part of your, that should be part of your argument with uh, not giving up on, on young players is also don't, don't make that part of the, Think of this: Is San Diego? I think San Diego actually no. The San Diego brought Tatis up right away, didn't they? Yeah, I think he's. They, I'm pretty sure as we speak now, he's only 11 years old. Uh, but they did this this crap with Chris Bryant. That's why he's go, he went through that grievance system. Yeah, uh, right. And I, I just, I just, I think somehow they have to get rid of that. And I don't want to dig too deep, more deep into this, but I think they have to get rid of that because the talent. If the talent plays in the major league, you got to foster that talent. And it, it can only cause a split between player and the organization. And I, again, I'll bring up Chris Bryant because the guy still hasn't gotten a long-term contract. And all he's been doing is, is arbitration as far as I can, I know. And now they have this whole grievance this past offseason because of the, because of the service time. And, but I just think that's there's too many factors against these kids coming up, like learning how to hit, learning how to pitch in the major leagues, and then teams adjust, front offices adjust, and so now they have to adjust. You have all right. this other stuff. Yep. And let's and then add on, oh, my service time may come into effect, and they might just send me down because. So I have to be great, like Fernando Tatis, to actually stay up. And it's just, it bothers me to no end that stuff like that can happen because they want to save one year on a guy's contract. It's just, well, it's annoying. It's annoying. Oh, it's beyond annoying. Uh, last year, for reference, a very, very small sample size. He pitched 17 innings. He had three okay. starts. He had three wins, 21 strikeouts in 17 innings, an ERA of .53 and a whip of .88. And so, this is on a and this was on a team that was not good. So on a team that was absolutely terrible last year. This year, six innings pitch, ten strikeouts, ERA of three, and a whip of one point three three, which of course I believe would go down with his ability to miss bats. Right. Uh, this kid is a if he isn't in the future plans for this team in the rotation as a homegrown talent, yeah. then we need different people running that team. But speaking of homegrown talents. Oh boy! Uh, yesterday the news. The new, well, actually, I don't know. Uh, Wednesday, so it'll be Monday, not, yeah. not yesterday. Today it would be yesterday. Today, uh, as we record Tuesday evening, uh, Monday the news broke that uh, Patriots were releasing wide receiver Julian Edelman. To which you know you would assume in a rational world, which we know we don't live in, that people would wait for details before they would, of course just jump the gun and freak the hell out. And I'm not even talking Patriots fans. I'm talking everyone on Twitter who took the chance to pile on them as a crummy organization who's disloyal to their players and this and that. Well, I believe it was within an hour it became clear that he was being released as part of a contract termination because he failed the physical. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware, at some point last season, uh, Edelman suffered a pretty severe knee injury, tried to play through it, was not able to. Uh, had surgery. They thought he might be able to come back at some point last year. Was not able to. 
and the entire offseason he's worked. I mean, you can't question this guy's work ethic. Whatever you may think of him with the Patriots, I mean, you see him. I don't think the guy's ate a carb in 35 years, and he's only 34. So that tells you what. Uh, he He's in tremendous shape, and he apparently just could not get could not get his knee in condition where he could pass a physical to play in the NFL. The team doctors would not clear him. So he made the difficult decision to retire. Uh, it's kind of out of the blue. You kind of think as, as fans, you see these guys get hurt and you see him on the field taking all this abuse. You, you, you kind of feel like he's, you know, just going to come back. That's how it goes. You know, it wasn't anything... You know, it wasn't like a Ryan Jazier thing where it was a spinal injury or something. And, you know, obviously, you know, <laughs> fully, fully understand his, his not coming back, seeing as it's, it's not worth the risk for further damage. But, you know, like Edelman, it was like, oh, it's a knee. They'll fix a knee. He can fix a knee. People fix knees all the time. Guy's in great shape. Guy's always kept himself in, in phenomenal condition. And it's just kind of it, it, the reality of these guys are real people, not just machines really hits you when you see a guy who's I mean probably on the tail end of his prime or just about hitting it but was still really productive I mean the last full game he played he had 179 receiving yards torched Jamal Adams in that game week two against Seattle had a great game and I'm thinking oh man Cam Newton and Edelman they're gonna light it up and then I don't think he stepped on the field for the Patriots again so as he as he put it in his farewell farewell uh or I guess retirement speech he had he was sitting on uh, sitting in Gillette Stadium, and uh, he, he, you know, had a little just addressed, you know, his fans and and people who would you know want to see it, and said, "I told myself I would play until the wheels came off, and <laughs> the wheels came off." So, hey man, I hate to see it. I'm glad. Um, I'm glad for his sake. He gets to, you know, not his own terms, but he got a chance to at least fight to come back, and 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 have that, and. Um, Man, I if we let, if we try to lay out all the good memories as Patriots fans Edelman provided us throughout the years, this all would right. be a six hour show. Uh, so, I mean, I'm gonna stop rambling and uh, give you a chance. Obviously, I know you have stuff to say about this too, but there's there's some interesting interesting stats I have to uh, address once once Ben said his his piece here. So I I, I appreciate everything Julian did for the team. And I think, uh, and I'm not, I'm not here to criticize Wes Walker because we recognize what Wes Walker did for the team and the production he had. Julian took the mantle from Wes Walker and was able to do more with it. And he unfortunately was able to prove it. Um, unfortunately, I say that because Wes wasn't able to. He proved it in those clutch situations in the biggest of games. And the two catches I could think of is first Super Bowl when that was what uh, against who was that against the first first one he was in the first one he was in uh, that was it's sad that there's so many <laughs> it's almost a I know I, the first one they won was forty nine with him and that was with Seattle Seattle that's and that was an over the head catch I believe and it was similar to to Wes Welker's miss in uh, 11. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's when I think of 
that's one of the two things I think of when I think of Julian is that he just had enough reach to make a catch like that where, where Wes didn't. And then obviously the biggest one, the Atlanta Falcons one, where he's practically falling down, draped by two guys, and he makes that acrobatic catch. And even with the challenge review, he's still it's still upheld. And that's what I think of Wes, just making clutch plays in clutch situations to help the team win. And I, I'm going to jump the gun a little bit because I, I see the rundown. I see where you're leading this whole argument. So I'll let you get to all your um, all the stats. Is his stats and his playoff clutchness going to lead him to the NFL Hall of Fame? That was my big question, and it's the big I, question on you, Twitter. I hope you know. I it's Twitter, so I don't give yeah. a flying. You know what? Um, that being said, follow the show. Ben Chris talk sports. No, I wait. That one, that's Instagram. Uh, BCTS pod. Yes. Um, I mean, all of you to follow that show. We, we love you. Everyone else is evil on Twitter. Um, I mean, yeah, look, it, it, it's tough. I mean, if you just look at the stats, the pure stats, which I've been saying for a long time, that's how guys like I think Philip Rivers get in without championships, monster stats. And why guys like Eli Manning, who have two rings, and pretty comparable stats to Phillip Rivers, if anything, uh, more careful with the football than Phillip Rivers, which isn't exactly tough to do, then that's why he's a shoe-in. If Rivers gets in, no way Manning doesn't. If you just look at the numbers, Julian Edelman is not a Hall of Famer. If you add all the intangibles in, where he came from, what he overcame... Absolutely. Now, he's not a Peyton Manning, Calvin Johnson, first ballot Hall of Famer. He's going to be on a ballot for a few years. But I do believe he'll get in. And, I mean, look, he was a seventh-round pick in 09, 232nd overall. Ended with 620 career receptions, a little over 6,800 receiving yards, 36 touchdowns, and 137 games played. Spent all 12 seasons with the Patriots. Um, Like I said, missed most of last year with a knee injury. But three-time Super Bowl champion and MVP of Super Bowl 51, where he made, I mean, look, (laughs) the other two best catches I can remember in Super Bowl history are both against the Patriots by the Giants, being Mario Manningham and David Tyree. This is, I don't know what order you put them in because they're all incredible, but for me, as a Patriots fan, I'm going to be biased here, I think this was the best catch in Super Bowl history. Maybe one... 1B in front of Tyree. You kind of put those two right side by side. That was incredible, too. Uh, there was also the one by Santonio Holmes in that Pittsburgh-Seattle game. That was awesome. But a lot of great ones. But those are the ones, the truly special ones that stand out. Um, I mean, I think he'll get in because rings are a heavy, heavy weight. I mean, if you just put Kurt Warner's numbers up, pure numbers, Kurt Warner's not a Hall of Famer. If you add the intangibles, what he gave to his team, his uh, MVPs, his trophy in the Super Bowl, uh, I think he had two MVPs, one or two. I know he has one ring. Went to a few more Super Bowls, went to three. Uh, but the pure numbers aren't great. But all the other stuff together uh, is what got him in. 
So if you're going to say Edelman, Edelman wasn't Jerry Rice numbers, but he had three Super Bowls and an MVP. And was one of the most clutch players for his team for quite a quite a decent stretch of that, at least six, seven years. So I don't – I think he gets in. It'll be a few years. Uh, he's not as obviously well, obviously it'll be at least five. But it'll be a few more years after that. I say he's on the ballot four or five years. Then he gets in. It'll probably have to be a down year. People are going to look at the stats and go, oh, he's not in. But when you add all the other intangibles, like I said, it I absolutely think he will end up in a Hall of Fame. Absolute Patriots Hall of Famer, hands down. Hands down, without a doubt. NFL Hall of Famer, eventually. And there's there's one thing you have to remember, and, and we understand the situation that happened and that brought them to this point. Uh, I was actually just looking it up just to confirm it because I saw it on Twitter the other day. In 2012, the AFC Championship game against the Baltimore Ravens, Julian was covering Anquan Bolden. Oh, yeah. Yep. I say that again. Julian Edelman was covering Anquan Bolden. Now they were hurt in the secondary. And with two minutes left, they were winning the game. They almost went to the Super Bowl with Julian Edelman playing corner. And they did that as well. What was that, 06? 06 when um, Troy Brown had to play corner? Yeah, Troy Brown played corner for quite a while, actually. Yeah. Right. Uh, Because the same situation. Uh, Just depleted secondary and injuries all around. And that prompted, in 06, it prompted eventually um, them to need to get, I think Akeem Tlaib was acquired at some point. And then it prompted Bill after 2012 at some, I think the year or two later, is when he made the big splash for uh, one Mr. Stefan Gilmore. Um, but that's, those are just factors you have to remember. And I, I remember seeing yesterday or the day before, uh, comparing Heinz Ward's numbers and Heinz Ward's not in the Hall of Fame. Okay, we can have that conversation about Heinz Ward. But he's a three-time Super Bowl champ. He's a, NF, he's a Super Bowl MVP. And I'll say this. If you're going to discount Julian Edelman's playoff record and playoff history, then you must discount Eli Manning's playoff record in playoff history because if you want to go apples to apples that's the game you got to play you can't just say right, for Eli right. for Eli oh well we'll count his Super Bowls and that's what gets him in and and then I count it for Eli, uh, Julian Edelman I just that's just it's either all or we play by the same level if this was Major League Baseball and it was this uh, all-seeing, all all-knowing, omnipotent writers' union, essentially, that oh, votes gosh. him in. Yeah. I'd say he doesn't get in, Eli gets in, whatever. I think because it's it's uh, more logical, <laughs> the voting yeah. process in NFL, I think absolutely people will see Edelman for what he provided to the game, to his team, the quality of play, and the championships. Look, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Edelman doesn't win a championship. Edelman's not in the Hall of Fame. Right. There's no way. But you add the three Super Bowls to it, considering the high level he played at in the playoff games he was a part of, you absolutely have to consider him. I have just a little uh, just a little side note here. Go ahead. Uh, not little. It'll take a few minutes. But Julian Edelman, like I said, was drafted 232nd overall, 7th round pick in 2009, the 29th wide receiver selected in the draft. 
there were six wide receivers selected in the first round. Okay. So I thought it'd be real quick to run down those names and their career statistics because none of them are in a league anymore besides Edelman. Well, not anymore, but uh, so a guy by the name of Darius Hayward Bay was drafted by the oh. Oakland Raiders, seventh <laughs> overall, seventh Oops. overall, 202 career receptions, just under 2,900 receiving yards, 16 touchdowns in 144 games. Michael Crabtree. By the way, the most successful of all of them on this list. Uh, and I don't actually know if he's fully retired. I know he played a couple years ago. I don't know if it's injury or what, but uh, he had, he has played recently. 637 receptions. Just, I mean, just 7,499 7, receiving yards. 54 touchdowns in 143 games. And by the way, he was drafted 10th overall to the 49ers. And from what I can remember, was a giant headache just about the entire time. Jeremy Macklin, Philadelphia Eagles great, drafted 19th overall, 514 receptions, 6,800 receiving yards, 49 touchdowns, well, that's good, and 114 games. Okay. Percy Harvin, 353 receptions, 4,000 receiving yards, 22 touchdowns, and 75 games. Now, caveat here, Percy was electric. Anybody who ever watched him play knew that kid had something really special Unfortunately, he suffered from like crippling migraines and just yeah, they, it 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 cost him a lot of playing time. Uh, if he didn't have that issue, I'm convinced Percy Harvin could have been a Hall of Fame quality talent. Honestly, I really I really feel that way just just watching him play. Uh, next, second to last on my list here, Hakeem Nix, drafted 29th overall by the New York Giants. 356 receptions, 5,000 receiving yards, 31 touchdowns in 92 games, and the legendary Kenny Britt. 30th overall to the Tennessee Titans, 329 receptions, 5,100 receiving yards, 32 touchdowns in 116 games. So, the seventh-round pick, Julian Edelman, has numbers comparable to each and every one of those guys vastly, vastly drafted over him. You have to take that into consideration. Look at the draft. I mean, look at the draft capital spent on these six players, and <laughs> then you get a seventh round pick, almost a throwaway pick. And uh, let's see, um, played all all but two more games than all but two uh, touchdowns. He had more touchdowns than. Uh, Hayward Bay, Harvin, Nix, Britt. Uh, receiving yards, 68-22. Uh, he was three on that list just behind Macklin. And Michael Crouchy had far and away more at 75. And receptions, 620. Second most receptions on this list. A seventh-round throwaway pick. And three rings, by the way. I don't know if any of these other gentlemen even have one. Uh, maybe, maybe Nick's with the Giants. It's possible. I think he was out of the second time to beat the Pats, so he may have a ring. But, I mean, this just goes to show you, especially with the draft approaching. Oh, well, who do we get in the fifth round? Oh, who cares? Well, <laughs> two of the best players in franchise history for us as Patriots fans, Tom Brady and Julian Edelman, were taken in the sixth and seventh rounds, respectively, and have two... Tom Brady, all-time great career. And Edelman, absolutely one of the best careers of his entire draft class. 
So just just a little nothing really to prove there. I'm not trying to run the other guys down. I mean, they did what they did. I'm sure they tried to do more. Uh, but you know, <laughs> Hayward Bay got seventh overall, seventh overall, and Edelman got him in every statistic in less games. So just goes to tell you, man, all the research you do, all the projections you do, sometimes you cannot account for intangibles. And I think I think we have to remember one thing, Chris. So uh, I'm looking up Julian's. Uh, again, we're not trying to put him up on some pedestal that he's, you know, this great ever player. You know, he like he's up there with Randy Moss and Calvin Johnson and and no, no one's saying that. No, we're not putting him put there. We're trying to put everything in perspective so you can get all the information. All those other guys you named, right? They went right into receiver position, right in, you know, number one receiver, number two receiver. Julian, I'm looking at his stats. The first four seasons, he didn't crack a hundred targets collectively. Uh, if I dug deeper into pro football reference, I'd probably find um, more spot a time played on in 2012 especially where he had to play multiple times in the secondary as we discussed and then in 2013 is when he you know finally took over for for west welker and started playing full tilt as the number one slot guy so you're looking at eight seasons six seasons six six and a half seasons where he's playing slot and that's with 2015 where he got injured. You almost wonder what he would have been like had he been full-time since day one trying to play receiver in the slot with Tom Brady. Uh, like, these guys had the opportunity. Yeah, and I remember I went to a Pats Jets game on a Thursday night back in 2013. I remember that. Uh, yeah, and actually it was Teddy Bruschi got inducted that night in the Hall of Fame, which is really cool. Uh, the Patriots Hall of Fame. And, uh, yeah, Edelman, I mean, they, they were really, to say they were shallow at receiver was an understatement. That's when uh, it was a Bethel Johnson and Aaron Dobson. Was it? Oh, Kimbrough Tompkins and Aaron Dobson were the one and two. Yep. And Pats couldn't get anything going all game. They had to leave, but they couldn't get anything going all game. And this is for the third or fourth season of Edelman's career. And he wasn't even a, a, a prime you know, a target for Brady at that point, that far into his career. He'd been a good return guy, and he got a catch here or there. Brady started throwing the ball to him, and the guy ended up catching almost every pass on the last drive and let him do a touchdown. I mean, and from that point on, like, Brady started building trust with him, and it was really over the course of, I don't know, six, seven seasons he put all those stats together. It wasn't throughout the entire 12 years of his career. It was, it was really a good portion of it, if, if you add, take away the games for injury and take away the games he wasn't used, like you were talking about also, I mean, he, a really short stretch, put up a lot of really good numbers. And he never really had the, the nationwide name recognition, but this is a really good player. And I do think, I do feel uh, he will absolutely one day be in a Hall of Fame. All right. Now, little... uh Free agent wire has dwindled down severely, as you can imagine with all the signings they had the first couple of weeks. 
Uh, but one one to note, at least in my opinion, uh, James Conner, uh, the guy at one point thought to take over for Le'Veon Bell in Pittsburgh, uh, has signed a one-year deal with the Arizona Cardinals because God knows they need more offense. Uh, he'll be said backfield tandem with Chase Edmonds. You'd have to think if Chase Edmonds is healthy, he's probably the one. And uh, Connor would be the two, which is probably good for Connor, seeing as he has been injury prone in the past with some concussion issues. So it'll probably be nice to go in knowing you're part of a tandem, not expecting probably to good be for the Chase guy. Edmonds too. Chris. Absolutely, he's had some injury issues himself. So both these guys are very talented when healthy, have trouble staying healthy. So hopefully, uh, being able to spell each other every now and then will <laughs> lead to them being able to play a full season. And I think I think there's enough. Uh... Because the biggest biggest complaint you have about the Pittsburgh backfield is what, Chris? They're all the same player. Right. I think there's enough difference between uh, Edmonds and Connor. Um, Size-wise, ability. Uh, it just it, – it's a nice mixture. Uh-huh. Um, throw, in a, throw in a guy there uh, with a, a little bit more passing background – uh, might be might be good for that. Uh, so I don't know any names off the top of my head, other than the comparable James White would be kind of a comparable, but he's signed by the Patriots. So, but that type of player, add that in, and now you you got yourself a nice little collective backfield. That I think the league is is has been shifting to more and more each year, um, and I think the Pittsburgh Steelers. If we look at them real quick, not not too long. I think it would be good. This is a good time to take stock of what players you have in your system and find, as you keep pointing out, find that player that kind of is not the same. And um, we're not going to dig too deep into the draft, but I, at least for this, for the running backs, I think there's a possibility in, in the second round they could find that uh, but I think if they go first round, you might find what you already have just more talented. And now you've wasted those other players. Yeah. But to your, but yeah. to your point, they've they've just been drafting the same player over and over again. Yeah. What I mean by that is it's the same skill set. Right. Like they have four, four, you know, they had last year, it was three or four running backs in a rotation, but it's the same skill set. It's like, this guy can run really good. He's a good running back, but he's not great at catching. It's like, well, you have four players like that, so you kind of need to change it up if you want any chance of having an effective running game. Like, uh, you know, playing Homer, whatever, the Patriots for many, many years have not had a dominant running back. I can't remember the last one. Maybe Corey Dillon at Antoine well, Smith during the first, for, yeah. first Super Bowl run. Well, Corey not, Dillon. Not, 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 um, I wouldn't say Antoine Smith because you had um, J.R. Redman. But what I'm saying, though, is like, that was like the, pri- the the quote primary guy, yeah. But then they had other guys who were different. The J.R. Redmonds, the Kevin Falks, the Stephen Ridleys throughout the years, James White, guys who have a they can rush the ball, so it's not always obvious it's going to be a passing situation when they're in. They can also split out to wide receiver if you want to go four or five wide. Guys who can change it up. Pittsburgh didn't have that. Okay. They had four or five of the same player. I don't play. You know, I think it's good for both them and Connor to get a change of scenery. Yeah. So uh, don't forget Shane Vereen. That's the other one I was thinking of. Shane Vereen, too. Yes, very good. Yes, Mr. Vereen, I apologize. Uh, who, also, well over... who also went and got money somewhere else and <laughs> didn't succeed. Sorry. Oh, they... Sorry. I had to get that jab in because we know. 
Yeah. It's it's like two players in like 20 years that have succeeded when they left the Patriots. Oh, Kevin Falk and James White are going to show them how it's done. <laughs> Kevin Falk already did, and James White is well on his way. So, All right. Uh, next, uh, we're going to do the – I think we're going to switch. This is not really a long topic. The uh, NFLPA. Apparently yeah. pushing pushing for a very virtual uh, all very virtual <laughs> the most virtual pushing for an all virtual off season. Um, uh, apparently today the Broncos and uh, shortly before we started recording this the Bucks have announced they are opting out of all voluntary practices due to the pandemic. Um, okay, look here's the thing. What look players want to opt out for health reasons. Hey. I'm not. I, I can't judge anybody on that. That's you got to do what you think is best. Uh, but that's not what's happening here. What's happening is it's, it's an NFLPA power play. Yeah. They want to say, even though there's nothing in this about this in the collective bargaining agreement yet, which you have obviously will have to change next time. That they can't force them to play, and they don't. They want an entirely virtual off season like last year because that worked out so well. And by the way, if you're the Bucks. Uh, that's that's fine. You won a Super Bowl, so no one can really say crap to you until otherwise, you know, otherwise proven. If you're the Broncos, you probably want to practice as much as you can because you were a dumpster fire last year. Just saying, uh, and you looked really, really good on paper, and you got on the field, and it was just a giant steaming turd. So let's maybe I don't know practice a little bit more. Just saying. Um. I don't I don't really get this, honestly. Again, I'm not judging anybody who wants to opt out for health reasons. If you have a compromised immune system or whatever, I get that. Uh, this just, to me, just seems like it's not about health. It's about posturing, what we can do, what we want to do. So the league tells them it's voluntary, and they're like, well, we don't want to do it. Like, okay, well, it's voluntary, but if you want to act tough, go ahead. Like, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just weird to me. I don't know. It's cause and effect, Chris. They wanted to shove game 17 down their throat. So this is their play. And like you said, it's voluntary. So, okay, it's voluntary. You don't have to go. Fine. Don't go. But just remember, and I pointed this when we discussed this pre-show, you had all the league basically the same way, right? And the Bucks came out on top. Yep. If I'm the Bucks, I would pay attention to what, if I want to repeat, which is clearly what they're trying to do. I would look at what every other team is doing and saying, if all 32 teams do this, then okay. But if you start seeing some of your direct competition of not doing this, not opting out, having the voluntary workouts, going to all these training camp, training uh, activities, you might want to rethink this. And let's not forget, Chris, um, under last year's restrictions, uh, Tom Brady and wide receivers were illegally getting together. Uh, so it's not like that's they, the funniest that, part to me. They were doing it illegally last year and now they right. can. And they're like, no, we don't want to. Want to. Right. It's, it's just a power play by the league, uh, by the players association, just because they don't, that they don't like the fact that they have to play the 17th game. I don't disagree with that. Cause I, I don't know what game 17 is going to look like. And I think they need another bye week with that many weeks. If you're a week, if you're a team that gets a bye week, week three, week four, and now you have to play all those games, it's going to be tough. So it's a bold move by the Players Association. 
But the problem is, is if you don't have 32 teams on board with it, it it's going to be a little, not hold my, as much weight as you were hoping to. I mean, again, the key word is voluntary. Nobody has to. So the fact they have to make a big stink about opting out of something they don't have to do anyways is, is very much very trivial to have to announce you're not going to do something voluntary. Yeah. It's like, hey, Ben, I am not going to break the law tomorrow. Good job. Okay, Chris. good for you. I don't need a press release saying that. Like, uh, I, it, <laughs> it's yeah. I don't know. It's this is. It's like I said. It's a, it's a weird posturing thing, um, because they're not gonna. It's gonna start cutting into their money. If these guys who don't have a problem practicing illegally last year don't want to do it this year, it's gonna cut into their money if it starts to be training camp and they don't want to show up. Right. Unless there's some. You know, the vaccine out there now, and this is um, whatever you think about it, don't think about it, I don't know. But it's out there, and a lot of people have got it. So if it's doing what it's supposed to do, uh, we shouldn't see another large spike in cases. So, I mean, you probably won't have a situation by the time the season rolls around where you're having a problem being able to have things open and, and, and be out and around each other. If Alabama is expecting full capacity by the beginning of the season, Alabama University, I would say most teams should, if the state allows it, and we're not going to dig into the that side of the of, of the fence. If they allow it, I mean, realistically, we should start seeing everything come back to where it should be. Because, you know, the vaccine and, and everything. So, realistically, Chris, it, it as you put it, it doesn't make sense. And it's just posturing is what it is. If you're not sure about it. how to do it, ask the Texas Rangers. And I'll move on from there. Okay. Well, hey, they haven't had any problems. No, 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 you're right. You're right. I haven't had any right. problems. I mean, I'm not trying to debate what does and doesn't work. What isn't isn't right. People can make their own decisions, but like everybody gave him crap about how oh my god i can't believe you're gonna do that you're gonna endanger so many people by the way people voluntarily going right that's the thing no one's human beings with free will voluntarily walking into a ballpark not being forced to and of course people want to give them crap because of their own agendas uh so and i have not seen anything negative come from that whether it's coming or not i don't know but it has not yet so if they continue to have this success there is an argument to be made. Hey, let's talk to the Rangers. Let's see. Ohio State, uh, your, your boy. Yep. Uh, Justin Fields uh, is going to hold a second pro day. His first one went so well, he's like, damn, I'm going to do this again. Uh, the Originally, when I first wrote up this rundown, it was only the 49ers and Patriots who were confirmed attendees. Uh, 49ers obviously have the third overall pick after that trade where they gave away essentially the entire farm to uh dolphins uh the patriots apparently hoping miracles are real and happen and justin fields falls to them which look i would love it (laughs) i did i don't i don't see it but i would love it uh and the falcons who seem completely disinterested in a quarterback after the 49ers traded and it seemed like they might go for somebody like a kyle pitts uh or as i suggested last week maybe trade with uh, the Cowboys so they can get uh, uh, Penny Sewell. Apparently now, according to GM Terry Fontenot, maybe 
pronouncing that, apologies if I am, says his team is in a prime position to stack good quarterbacks. That's a quote. Whatever the hell that means, I don't know. But apparently they're looking to just collect them now instead of having a quality one play on the field. You can't stack too much when your quarterback is uh, taking up 40% of your salary cap. And I think you're so, being generous, Tris. Yeah, Matt Ryan's contract is absolutely absurd when compared to the production level. But I only I only really I mean, we kind of in a way talked about the stuff in this in this section before, but the thing I found interesting was the 49ers since trading up to 3 by all accounts are absolutely enamored with Mac Jones. And now they're going to visit Fields. Uh, now all of a sudden, the Falcons, who apparently were enamored with Jones, also. Now that the 49ers are going to see Fields, now the Falcons are going to go see Fields. Again, much like with the NFLPA, I think a lot of this is posturing. I think the Patriots are just hoping <laughs> that they could they could try to convince everybody he's no good, so he'll fall to them, and uh, that ain't going to happen. But I'm starting to think. Uh, Falcons stay at four and take a quarterback. I really, I really think your. I don't want to give away your prediction, but you've kind of given away bits and pieces. As yeah. is, I really think it goes Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. Uh, I would have to say Justin Fields to the Niners, and then Mac Jones goes to the Falcons, and then the draft starts at five. Uh, based on this, I mean, I know the Falcons are good at mismanaging. <laughs> mismanaging your team more on the field um so it wouldn't surprise me if they sent these resources out for no reason you brought up an interesting point though i doubt very much being a pro day it's just justin fields there yeah there's going to be other players there too so it could just be a coincidence and the falcons could be trying to throw people off the trail for whatever reason i don't know but we know the first three picks are going to be quarterback yeah absolutely we we know the jaguars are taking we know as as Close to a sure thing as it can be without being a sure thing. We know the Jags are taking Trevor Lawrence. You know the 49ers did not trade up to take Penny Sewell. No disrespect, but it's not that's not a move you make. That's not mm-hmm. how it works. So unless the Jets pull the most Jets move of all time and decide to take Sewell or Jamar Chase or whatever after trading Sam Darnold, which I just don't see happening, no. uh, then you're going to have one, two, three quarterback. And, you know, you have the Falcons right there. Unless they're trying to coax other teams and offering them a deal like the Dolphins got from San Fran, which at this point you're not going to get because there's supply and demand. And 49ers traded into a spot to draft a quarterback. That supply went down of quarterbacks, so the demand isn't going to be the same. So... <laughs> you're not going to get that same deal. You might get two first and maybe a second and a couple more conditional, but you're not getting that three first, second crazy haul you would have gotten had you pulled the trigger before uh, the Niners did with the Dolphins. But I I, I don't know. I, I almost think this is just to provoke a trade. Oh, to, yes. have team, to have teams say, oh, maybe Atlanta's going to take a quarterback. Maybe we should try to see if they're still willing to trade before they get locked in on one. I just they've they've been so disinterested in quarterbacks seemingly this entire time that I'm almost I'm almost convinced even if they're at four still they take Kyle Pitts. 
I, I look at this, Chris. Who's going to trade up for for a quarterback right now to number four? You're looking at possibly Detroit because they want to jump in because they're concerned there's not going to be a quarterback. You're looking at the New England Patriots, Washington football team, and the New Orleans Saints. And that's probably about it. Maybe a couple other teams, maybe the Raiders, maybe the Bears. But other than that, those are the four teams you're looking at. And if Detroit's sitting at seven, they're kind of like, well, we can let the draft come to us. We can. And we have Jared Goff for whatever it's worth. This is We have him under contract. We can go forward with him. Right. And if, and if we suck, well, we'll have the first or second pick in the draft next year. And now you look at the Patriots. Well, you already know what's going to happen there, Chris. They're going to play hardball. And if they don't like the deal, they won't make the deal. Right. They're not going to trade up because you're they're almost in a power position, which is crazy at the 15th pick against the Atlanta Falcons' fourth pick. They're in a power position where they can just say, eh, no, you want to you trade with Washington at 19? Sure, go ahead. We'll be fine at 15. And then if Washington balks at them too, then you're looking at New Orleans at 28. And, you know, are the Saints realistically in a position to spend that kind of money on the fourth overall pick? Not the draft capital. I'm talking about money-wise. Right. Can they afford that fourth overall pick? It, it lends me to believe number four is going to be a quarterback. And then you start the draft. And I, I, and then we won't get too much into it, but then Cincinnati is just going to go uh, possibly uh, tackle or wide receiver, depending on what they're looking at. And then we go from there on. But if we go four, four top four quarterbacks, I could feasibly see Detroit at seven landing the fifth quarterback, and they'll be happy with that. I was going to say, I almost think the best things for those teams, the Carolinas and the Detroits, well, Carolina got Darnold, but they even they said today apparently that, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is going to be an open competition with Sam Darnold. It's not they didn't trade for Darnold to be the starter. Uh, whether that's true or not, who knows? Detroit, like I said, they have Goff, so they may want to just see what, if anything, maybe I don't know, he can do something he didn't do in L.A. and actually you know think for himself on the field. Uh, I just think that it would almost benefit Detroit if Atlanta does take a quarterback because oh, then yeah. then I know it's Trey Lance and I know it's a small sample size, but some folks are really high in what they've seen. I know your problem with them is sample size. Uh, and whatever whatever comes of that, I don't know. But if there's one quarterback left, one of the big five, and obviously a few of them are much bigger than the other five, other, other, other members of that five, Mm-hmm. But Trey Lance is widely considered a, a a mid early to mid first round pick. Yeah, and if you're Detroit and you have a guy who can play quarterback, and you still got to see what he can do for you, and then you have sorry everybody listening, my dog is behind me and she is just slopping up water. <laughs> she is drinking half a bowl in the last five minutes. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know if I can edit that out or not. But if you hear weird noises, it's uh. It's Lexi having a field day underwater bowl. Um, they, it, it's almost, 
it's almost at seven having a better power position than the Falcons do at four if the Falcons take up quarterback. Because then you can have all these teams, like you said, the New Englands, if they choose to go for Trey Lance, if he's all that's left. Uh, the uh, the Vikings, even, I, I think, might be in a market for it if they can. Washington football team, obviously. Uh, I mean, they have Heineke and, and Fitzpatrick, but I don't think they see either one of those guys as their future you know, franchise guy. Right. Uh, so, I mean... I mean, I honestly think if it goes one through four quarterback, the Lions could get more to trade that seventh pick than the Falcons could right now to trade the fourth pick. I know that sounds crazy, but supply and demand is a crazy thing in the NFL draft. It is not crazy, Chris. I agree with you 100% because because teams have that option for Detroit and they could possibly just say, okay, Detroit, what do you want for seven? And if it's if if they like the deal, then they can make the deal. But you're 100 percent correct. Detroit should stare down everybody because they also could sit there and be comfortable taking Trey Lance. And you're right, I do have a problem with the one year. But conversely, if he's sitting behind Jared Goff for a year, or let's say a la Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts ish a situation. Okay, so for most of the season he's on the bench and then he's seeing and 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 you can inject him into the last six games and teams can't get quite film on him so we can raise that confidence level. I think I think that could bode well for them, but it's absolutely a power position because at five you know what Cincinnati needs. They need right. they need the best position player right. on the board. Oh, they go, they, yeah, they go offensive line and receiver. There's no way they don't. And then, and then Miami will 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 back that up with some, you know, the other player because they need offensive tackle, wide receiver, or tight end. Detroit sits right there, and then they could just say, "Okay, guys, call us. What do you want? Uh, what do you want to give us for seven? And you know, the time the time will be on." Uh, on the clock for them to make that deal. And I think it's very beneficial for them to wait for draft day. Now that we have kind of everything falling together. Mm -hmm. I know at 15, New England won't overspend. I don't believe what Ron Rivera with Washington would overspend crazy to move up. He's not going to do what the Niners did in uh, mortgage the future. But do you think Sean Payton, looking at what he has, what his future is, would say, okay, do, do I want to go with Jameis Winston and, and Taysom Hill? Or do I want to move up, set myself up to reset next year and maybe have Trey Lance if he's there? I think they're forcing themselves to go with Winston and and Taysom Hill. Honestly, they don't have the cap room. I don't think they have the draft capital to move up. Right. And I think I mean, your Minnesota scenario, it it is possible. It just depends on how much they would have to give up to move up. Even though it's, let's be honest, it's only seven spots. Right. But that's seven huge spots. And when one team is holding all the cards saying, hey, this is the last quarterback. You want him. You better you better throw right. it on the gauntlet and get him. Like, uh, like, look, we think the Patriots are going to be a lot better this year. Right. Drafting a quarterback or not. I think a full offseason for Cam and everything is going to be better. So I don't think you're going to see this team 
picking in the the low to mid to high teens next year. I think they're going to be back in the 20s where they have been for the past two decades. I really do. Having said that, I may have somewhat of a skewed perspective being a bit of a homer for the Patriots. What if they have another down season? So, you know, Detroit could say take the 15 pick and take around the same pick next year if they have another season like they had last year and maybe a couple of second-round picks, move up and take Trey Lance if they feel that's the guy. I don't think Trey Lance is the guy the Pats want. I think there's a few guys they want, and if they can't get them, I think they trade out of the first round, I'll be honest with you. I really do. Uh, I don't think... I think even guys like Micah Parsons, who they've been linked to, potentially would even be gone by 15. I think if those guys are gone, unless there's one of the elite corners hasn't been taken yet, I think they move out of the first round, or at least much further back. But... I have a question for you. You mentioned the Bengals, and I don't want you to, you know, I'm not asking to give away any of your your, your draft analysis or your, your your mock draft here, but uh, we I've always operated under the assumption that the Jets may not take a quarterback. I know you've said the draft could be one through four quarterback right. uh, for a while now. I haven't really thought that until this past couple of days. So if it does go one through four quarterback, mm-hmm. I've always assumed uh, one of the first – I never really thought about this, but Kyle Pitts is a hot prospect. Right. Could you see, even given the history with Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow, the Bengals passing on Chase because they have some good receivers, passing on Penny Sewell because he did opt out last year. So did Jamar Chase, go- too. Oh, that's right. He did. Yeah, okay. Jamar Chase did, too. And taking Kyle Pitts because people are saying that, you know, they know Trevor Lawrence is going to be the first player taken. But overall, absolute talent. Kyle Pitts is the best player in this draft. So here's what I'd say to that. Um, I've spoken about Kyle Trask before. And they've also had other quarterbacks that have transferred out and go to other places. Because at Florida, they just could not. And Trask didn't have a bad season last year. He just, he's not. That was a quarterback in Florida? Yeah, that's the quarterback in Florida. He's just not at that level that he never consistent arm talent. Yes, but couldn't, could not be consistent. So the question that w- this is why Kyle Pitts, there's sort of a question mark. Cause what is the ceiling? How high, how high is he really? We don't know because the talent at quarterback has not been great at Florida, but he's still been really, really damn good. He's so been productive he, right. and he, and unfortunately, and, and he's also getting that bump. Because looking at uh, breaking down the tight end position, I didn't look at film yet, but I looked at kind of where we're projecting. And after Kyle Pitts, it's second round, third round, fourth round, fifth round. And not not hard second round. You're looking at second round, third round. So it basically, if you want a tight end, you either get Kyle Pitts or you should have went in the free agent draft, the free agent market, which the Patriots did. So they couldn't. Patriots bought them all. Right. Um, so if I'm, if I'm the Bengals. <laughs> Patriots collecting tight ends like scalpers do PS5s. <laughs> oh, boy, Chris. Um, if I'm the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, I mean, every player should be on the, the board. Right. Uh, and it should be a collective decision. This can't be what Joe Burrow 
really, really wants. You you can take that into factor. Absolutely, you should. But then you have to look at the whole scheme and say, okay, what do we want to do? We want to protect Joe Burrow with a tight with a tackle. Do we want to put an outside receiver with him that he's familiar with, or do we need to get our what we what we expected out of Tyler Eifert uh, in in the middle? And do we have enough confidence in the rest of our receivers? T. Higgins, um, who's the other guy? I'm well, Tyler Eifert's not there. No, but I, I know what what we what he, what they expected. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, but who's the other receiver that I can't think of on top of my head? T. Higgins uh, and Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd, thank you. Uh, do I want to add a third piece, Jamar Chase, or do I want to get that middle of the field taken care of with a Kyle Pitts? It is a top, It should be considered in that war room. Here, for them, I would say. Normally, I would say if, if we were talking about this before we started recording about how deep this draft is in the trenches, the offensive and defensive line. Yep. If there was one or two, you know, every draft has their their themes. There. Oh, this is a deep running back draft. This is a deep QB draft. This is, um, you know, a, a deep receiver draft. You know, any position you can think of. Uh, so, and obviously, nobody knows how careers play out, but on paper projections. This is a deep draft in the trenches. So if you're the Bengals, you, I almost think you take Pitts, and if the Falcons do end up pulling a fast one and taking Pitts, and they, I think they go Jamar Chase. Not that Penny Sewell will not have a great career. I don't know. Looks like he's about as close to a can't-miss offensive line prospect as possible, but those are, you know, so are Ryan Leaf and Jamarcus Russell. That quarterback, so there's hits and misses everywhere. We just talked about a seventh-round pick and might be a Hall of Famer, so you never know. My point to this all is not just to ramble for five minutes. It's to say they're going to have an early-round pick in the second round, too. There's going to be a quality offensive lineman still available in the second round at pick five. There's no reason if they have a game-changing offensive talent you know, weighing, weighing your options. If there was no good receivers uh, or if there was a surplus of awesome receivers and only a few good offensive linemen, I'd say take take the offensive linemen. Get a receiver in the second round. Plenty of good receivers in the second round. But seeing as it is a much deeper offensive, uh, you know, offensive line draft, I would say go for Pitts, go for Jamar Chase, especially Chase, somebody you're familiar with. Really round out your offense. Take the next couple of rounds, bolster your line, protect your young franchise quarterback. Uh, that'd just be what I would do. I don't know. I'm not a GM. Only I'm Madden, and I do pretty well. Gotta say, not bragging, but got a few rings to my name. So, so this is what I'll say to that, Chris. Um, looking at the wide receivers, uh, and I have a familiarity with a couple of them that are going in the second round. Uh, two of them are from the Big Ten that I look at. Uh, they're more, I don't want to say gimmicky. I want to say they have a lot of skills, but is wide receiver number one skill? It may not be, but they absolutely could be a talent to a team with a wide receiver core that, you know, like the Bengals, where they have Boyd, where they have T. Higgins. So it could benefit them to have to take 
a wide receiver early in the second round if they like what's there. But the 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 tackle dra- the tackle market is at least ten deep. <clears throat> and yeah, you're, 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 you're going to tell me at, at pick round round two, pick five, all ten of those are gone. There's no way. And I'll say this as well. Look at number twenty eight, number number twenty nine, number thirty, New Orleans, Green Bay, Buffalo. Who's to say they don't they don't like what they see at that position? And they're getting a call from Cincinnati saying, hey, you, you interested? Cincinnati has the, the capital. They have the money. They can move up back into the set first round. Maybe they give up their second round next year. Maybe they give up their second round and their third round this year and move back up into the first round. Now they can grab one of those tackles in the first round. And now you've essentially got your – if you want to go Kyle Pitts, you go Kyle Pitts. You want to go Jamar Chase, you go Jamar Chase. And you picked up a tackle, no knock on Penny Sewell, but you can pick up a tackle that actually played this year. Right, exactly. And again, no knock on him, but no, 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 no. Jamar again, Chase and and Penny Sewell didn't play this year, so you have to you have to take that into factor. You didn't have a great, you didn't have a, a combine, and. If you didn't show up to the senior bowl, which I don't think either one of them did. I don't think so. Yeah. Now you're looking at, well, no senior bowl, no combine, no year, no bowl game. So now you're going off 2019 um, film. And what is that player going to be able to impact your team right away? Because that's the key, Chris. Top 10 picks unless you're talking about a quarterback with high upside, but needs to develop, these need to be impact players right away. This is not major league baseball, right? You don't have five, six years to develop, right? This is, this is like NBA where the top five picks need to impact your team right away. Contribute immediately. Yeah. So you can't, you can't, if especially you're Cincinnati where you're trying to make that jump that, um, the Buffalo Bills made in the second year of Josh Allen's career. They want to make that jump. And you're looking at Baltimore, since Baltimore, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh, and they're not going to be pushovers. So you need to figure out what you want to do. And maybe Kyle Pitts, like you said, is the answer because that just diversifies your offense. All right, last thing here. It's a, kind of a funny side note. Apparently Netflix is going to be doing – a, a movie on uh, Saints head coach Sean Payton. And uh, I don't know why this kind of struck me as weird. The gentleman they have chosen to play him is Kevin James. Um, not that I, I mean, hey, I was a big King of Queens fan when it was on. I thought that was hilarious. I love that show when it was on. Uh, I regrettably uh, red boxed Paul Blart Mall, Mall Cop. Uh, that is a dollar five and two hours of my life I can never get back, but I did see it. Um, so, I mean, it's nothing against Kevin James. It's just like, I don't really see the resemblance. Uh, I mean, look, you know, he's not going to be cheap, and Netflix keeps raising our damn monthly fees. So, maybe you could have gone with a lesser known actor and saved us all a dollar on our membership every month. Just throwing it out there, Netflix. A little, little courtesy. Anything on that, or are you good? And <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have anything on that. You've, you've, you've covered. Uh, 
except for the fact that I don't have Netflix because I don't feel like spending money on Netflix. So, dude, you live in the same house; you can just turn on any TV and watch it. That's true. That's true. Like we're not even. I'm not even like giving you my password at a different address. Like you literally are in the same house; you can just turn on the TV and it's there. It tells you how disinterested and I am. In yeah, watching right, fair Netflix. enough. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, we're gonna we're gonna get out of here. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any comments or questions on anything you heard on this episode or past episodes, Ben and I'd love to hear from you. And we're gonna get in touch with us. Well, you can hit us up on Twitter. That's at BCTS Pod. Facebook, Ben and Chris Talk Sports, or the website, bctspod.com. All right, download still doing great. We ask you, as always, if you feel so inclined, please leave a rating and a review if you have not done so already, and tell a friend or two, help us spread the word. It would be a, a great help to Ben and I. Uh, thank you once again, Stacy, for the water bottles. They are awesome, greatly appreciated. Uh, until next time, for Ben, I am Chris. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you right back here next Wednesday. Thank you.